0: Second Chronicles chapter 33, let's stand together please, and we're just going to read a few verses and then we're going to pray and get right into the message. In chapter 33 and verse 11, it says this, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, Now, we'll see this as we read a little further in a moment. But the pronoun them, the Lord brought upon them, it's talking about Judah and God's people. The Lord brought upon them the host of the king of Assyria, the mighty Assyrian army, which took Manasseh, who is the king of Judah at that time, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him, the king, with fetters. And carried him to Babylon. So picture this if you could in your mind. And we'll develop this again as we go along. But the Assyrian army comes into Judah. The southern kingdom. Manasseh is the king. And they take him captive. And take him to Babylon. As a a prisoner of war. And verse 12 says. And when he was in affliction. He was in affliction there. in, In the in prison in Babylon, when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the Lord or before the God of his fathers. Then you look at verse sixteen, and it says, "And he, talking about Manasseh, this king, he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed their own peace offerings and thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel." So we're we're really going to think about that phrase in verse 16 as we go along tonight. He sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings to the Lord. And, you know, people saying thank you or even in the Bible, people giving offerings of thanksgiving is common. But what makes this so uncommon is knowing who this man was, Manasseh. According to the Bible, this is one of the wickedest leaders that ever walked the face of the earth, and it makes his acts of worship and thanksgiving to me very noteworthy, and so we're going to think about him tonight. Let's bow our heads for prayer, ask God's help. Lord, thank you for letting us be here tonight. Lord, it's been a busy day for many of us, most of us, and we thank you for the good meal, but even with the meal, we have a tendency to... Just relax and not be as attentive as we ought to. So we pray for your help tonight. We help pray we can wrap our mind around the simple truths found in this Word. May we apply them to our lives. We pray for that. I pray the Spirit of God would work in hearts tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to spend some time tonight just getting to know this man, Manasseh. Um it tells us that he is a leader that was captured here in verse 11 and verse 12. And But to get to know him a little better, turn to the first part of this chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 33 and verse 1. It says that Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. Now, that strikes me as a long time. He reigned 55 years. As a matter of fact no king in Israel or Judah ever reigned as long as Manasseh did. Fifty-five years. But verse 2 says in chapter 33, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. When God led His people to occupy this land, we now know as Israel, it was once known as Canaan. It was occupied by very ungodly, wicked, vile people. And, and here the Bible says this leader of God's people, this king of Judah, actually was likened to the abominations of the heathen. Verse 2 says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase to think about. Not just whether you do evil in your sight, or whether you do evil in the sight of a friend, or even whether you did evil in the sight of your parents, but we ought to think about what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Amen. The Lord ought to, the, it's the Lord that we ought to want to please. So this man, this king, as we're introduced to this man, Manasseh, who started to reign when he was twelve, he lived like the heathen. He became like that area that uh, Israel was occupying. He became like the world he lived in. And That ought to be a reminder to all of us, you know, that we're not to be be like this world. We're we're to be like the world we're going to. But Manasseh became like the world he lived in. He also did another thing that was tragic. He forsook his father's example. If you look in the last verse of chapter 32, if you still have your Bible open there in chapter 33, just look at the last verse of um, chapter 32. It says, And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchers of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. We're talking about Hezekiah. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. So Manasseh was the son of one of the best leaders that Judah ever had. He- Hezekiah was not a perfect man. He made some mistakes. He had some poor decisions. But he left this great legacy. But So Manasseh... The person we're talking about tonight had this example. He had this good example. He had a father who feared God. And, and, and really chapters, and we're not going to look at it, but if you, you have to go back to chapter 29, I think it is, where Hezekiah began to reign. 29, 30, 31, 32. These, all these chapters covered the reign of this godly king, Hezekiah. But his son is not following in his father's footsteps. His son is a a wicked idolater. As a matter of fact, it just begins to spiral further and further out of control. If you're in 2 Chronicles 33, look in verse 3, and hope you'll just think about these verses as we read some of them. Verse 33 and verse 3 says, or chapter 33 and verse 3, For he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. If you're in chapter 32 of 2 Chronicles, it tells us that Hezekiah, this godly leader, tore down these places of false worship. He removed these places of worshiping idols. And yet his son came along, he started rebuilding those places of false worship. And encouraging people in a, a false form of worship. Look in verse 3, it says he built again the high places and he reared up altars for Balaam. Now these are wor- these are the gods the, of the heathen. These are, uh, they worshipped the sun, they worshipped the stars, they worshipped idols. Here's a man who's the leader of God's people who's rearing up these altars for Balaam. He made groves. And verse 3 says, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. They're they're worshipping the stars. They're worshipping God's creation. Verse 4, if you look on it says, and he built altars. Now think about this. We're talking about Manasseh. He built altars in the house of the Lord. Whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he bid altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now, think about this. You've got the temple, the house of God, a holy place. And you've got a man who's building objects of worship for false idols in the house of God. I mean, how can you become more blasphemous than that? How can you become more Depraved than that. So he's just, it just continues to get progressively, gets worse and worse. You say, how could it get any worse? Look in verse 6. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit. And with wizards he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Now that phrase is sort of obscure, maybe vague. But when it says he caused his children to pass through the fire, that means he's sacrificing his own children. Burned to death in idolatry. That's getting pretty bad. It's it's getting so bad, this anger in God. God is getting angry at him. Verse 9 says, So Manasseh, the king, made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err. He made them to sin. He led them in a wrong direction. And to do worse than the heathen. He, under his leadership, God's people became worse than the heathen. By the way, if, if I, this is my opinion, if, but I think it's a, good, a right opinion, it's a, a reasonable opinion. If a lost man does a certain thing that's wrong... But one of God's people does that same thing. It is worse. Because they should know better than to do that. They should know better than to go in that direction. So verse 9, he's he's causing them to err and do worse than the heathen, whom the Lord had destroyed from the children. Imagine that. God God had displaced and replaced these Canaanites because they were so wicked. They were so vile. They were you can't imagine anything so vile they did not do morally sacrificing their own children that's where he learned this and god said it god says I, he wanted to to build a better place there and so he told his people to occupy that land destroy those people and now his people are doing what they did you get the picture it's a pretty sad picture and so um Verse 10, if you look there, verse 10 it says, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Now this whole thing we're talking about is also recorded in the book of Kings. We're not going to turn there. But in the book of Kings, it gives you a more of a description here of how God, God sent prophets to these people. God sent his servants to these people and say, You need to stop doing that. What you're doing is wrong. You need to quit doing that. But you know what? They just ignored them. They dismissed the message of the prophets. That's what it says in verse 10. They would not hearken. They would not listen. They rejected God's warnings. Manasseh wouldn't listen. The people wouldn't listen. And it was very serious. We ought to take God's warning seriously, right? Amen. So, what did God do in verse 11? This is what we started reading a moment ago. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains... Of the host of the king of Assyria, he sent this great Assyrian empire. You'll remember it was the Assyrians that God told Jonah that he wanted to go preach unto them. This message of repentance, this message of God's holiness. It was those same Assyrians. And they'd already conquered the northern kingdom. And they come against Manasseh. And look what it says in verse 11. Which took Manasseh among the thorns. Now, that's a, that's a verse of Scripture, a phrase that is not explained at all. But to me, it seems to indicate that Manasseh was probably hiding. He's, they're coming against him. They're coming against his people. He's hiding in a thicket somewhere. And they found this great king in this bad place. But verse 11 says they bound him with fetters. That's like chains. They took the king of Judah, bound him in chains, and carried him captive to Babylon. You know, sin, sin never leaves a, leaves a person or leads a person to freedom and victory and happiness. Sin never does that. Sin always leads to a place of bondage, a place of slavery, a slavery to sin. Sin, any kind of sin, bitterness, lust, envy, pride, sin can never, ever satisfy And eventually it's going to be judged. Mark it down. Any kind of sin will be judged. Either in this life or in the life to come. Sometimes people think because God is not judging their sin that God's okay with it. That's not true. Just may mean his judgment is lingering, taking its time. So we have, this is what I would call Manasseh's reputation. We get to know the man, Manasseh. His father was a godly leader. But he took a different path. He led his people in a different path. He took them to the depths of idolatry and sin until God chastened him and they drug him in chains from his place of authority to a foreign power. But notice verse 12. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the god of his fathers now there is an interesting place in his affliction in bondage in chains in babylon in captivity all of a sudden he starts to think about things a little bit differently It says, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly. In his affliction, he began to seek the Lord. You know, I'm reminded of the words of David in Psalm 119. I believe David wrote it. It doesn't say he wrote it, but I think he did. He said, it's been good that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It's good for me. Young person, let me tell you something. If difficulties and trials cause a person to seek God, those trials can become their friend. Amen. There's something there's something worse young person. There's something far worse than being being reprimanded, being chastised, being corrected in order that you might do right. There's something far worse, you know what it is? Just doing wrong and getting away with it. That's far worse. So in his affliction, he began to seek the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 12. He humbled himself greatly. This this is not just a surface acknowledgement of wrong. He was truly sorry for his sins. This is genuine repentance. And he turned to God. It says there in verse 12, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly. Notice this phrase, before the God of his fathers. See, he didn't want his father's God. He didn't he, he, didn't, he didn't, he didn't he didn't follow in his father's footsteps. He didn't respect Hezekiah's leadership. A lot of young people are like that. They don't really want their father, their mother's God, their mother's or father's beliefs. But I'm telling you, When he's sitting in that prison cell, all of a sudden he started rethinking what would be important to him. And now he wants his father's God. It's a good place to be. Amen? Amen. If you're sitting here tonight and you've got a mom or a dad or someone that loves you and they've tried to teach you the right way and and tried to get you to become a God-fearing person and you don't take it serious, a great day in your life when you realize, you know, I, I need their God. And that's kind of what's going on in his life. Look what it says in verse 13. After it says that he greatly humbled himself, it says in verse 13, and prayed unto him. He began to pray to God. And he was entreated of him. That means God was accessible to him. He was entreated of him. God was entreated of him and heard his supplication. God heard his prayer. And notice this. And brought him again to Jerusalem. Unto his kingdom, God. God doesn't have to do things like that. God didn't have to do anything. He had made so many mistakes. He didn't. God didn't have to give him his kingdom back. He would have been. A, he'd have been a better off, better person if he just, if in prison he'd just gotten right with God and just rotted in prison. He'd still be a better person. But God let him go back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom, and then look at the last part of verse thirteen. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord he was God. He'd been worshiping idols. He'd been building idols in God's house. He was so messed up. He didn't know who God was. Let me tell you, there're not many gods. There's one God. One true God, the creator. And now, and now it says in verse 13, he knew that the Lord was God. His life was being changed. His life, he was having this regeneration in his life. He now, believed, he now believed not in many gods. He believed in the God of the Bible. He believed in the God of his Father. He believed in the God of Israel. He believed in the God who's holy. The God who has eyes and can see and ears and can hear. He believed in the God who was just and so just. That he would bring chastisement on his own people or those he was working in. But the God who shows mercy and forgiveness for those who repent. So, in a, so in, a, in a sense, Israel's God became his God. And I personally believe, I think it's safe to assume that Manasseh became a true believer right here. A true believer. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The most wick, one of the most wicked leaders that ever lived. One of the most wicked leaders to ever live. Now he becomes a believer. So we've seen Manasseh's reputation. This is how he lived. This is who he was. A hopeless case. And then we see his regeneration. How he turned from his sin. Repented of his sin. And turned to God. Now let's notice some of the things he did after he made this decision. Because this is the part that I want us to really uh, take home with us tonight. Because whatever happened in his life, right here, stayed with him the rest of his life. How did he live the remainder of his days? Let me tell you, this, this was not just some kind of a a profession that he made so he could get a little relief from his problems and then go out and live for self. The rest, this is not what happened to him. His life has changed. I think those kind of professions are suspect. I don't know people's hearts, but to me, when a person says, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do right, I'm sorry for what I did, and then is going to keep on living the life, I have a problem with that. I'm not saying where any of us are perfect, but I'm telling you, his life was permanently changed. What did he do? Look in verse 14. Now, after this, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in at the fish gate, encompassed about Ophel, and raised it up on a very great height, and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. So the first thing it says he did, was he began to uh, establish these wise, protective measures for Judah. That's a good thing. But look in verse 15. And he took away the strange gods, And the idol out of the house of the Lord. And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. You know, this was not just an internal change that happened in him. But he's making some external reformations because of what he's done. He's cleaning up the neighborhood spiritually. He's getting rid of all these Places of worship. These idol worship. Look in verse 16. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord was the place of worship. The altar of the Lord had been neglected. The place of sacrifice. The place of worship. Had been neglected. He's restoring biblical worship. To God's place, isn't that a wonderful thing? Would not it be a great thing to see Father? This happen in fathers' lives, dads, husbands, saying, "You know, God, we're going to start. We're going God is going to be the leader in our home. God is going to be the leader in our family." Amen. Our mothers doing that. Maybe there's not a, a husband present. Maybe there's not a father, but mothers saying, "Look." We're going to lead our house in the right. This is what, this is what regeneration looks like. Now keep in mind, he didn't get his act together so he could be saved. He got saved and he became a new person. Young person, listen to me. If this is, if you have not been made another person, I look at people and I talk to people like this, even young people, and they roll their eyes because they want to think because they prayed a prayer one day and they've never been changed. That they're going to go to heaven. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ changes lives. Amen. He he became he came out of that prison a new person. He didn't have a mom or dad nudging him and pushing him and, and, and kind of shaming him to do the right. No, he starts doing the right thing. As a governor, as a leader, he started doing the right thing. But also as a spiritual, a spiritual guide. Verse 15, he took away these strange gods. And all these altars. And then he repaired the altar of the Lord. He wants to make God's altar what it should be. A place of prayer. A place of sacrifice. And then it says in verse 15. And this is, or 16, excuse me. And on this altar that he repaired, he sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings. He began to offer these sacrifices of peace of peace offerings and thank offerings to God. And then look what it says in verse 16. And commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. He commanded them, the king. (laughs) I wish I could do this. (laughs) I'm not the king. Wouldn't it be good if the king could command us to serve God? that it became the law of the land, an executive order, right? Wouldn't you love to see CNN in the Oval Office one day? And the president is making an executive order that everybody is going to serve God. Wouldn't that be a great day? He command, you know, Now think about this. I, I, just think about what this is like. They knew what this king was like. They knew he was an idol worshiper. They knew he sacrificed his own children in the fire to false gods. They knew he built altars in the house of God, and now he's commanding people to serve the Lord. Let me tell you something. When a person sees the error of their sin, and they see the grace of God in their life, Number one, they're going to want to correct all the bad things that they can correct about what they've done. Like Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, he immediately was ready to restore to people things he had taken from them. That's regeneration. That's salvation. He wanted to correct what he had done to others. But not only that, when a person, take it me or... Are any one of you these men here, ladies here, when a person really has a right relationship with God, they're going to want other people to serve the Lord. You say, why do you want everybody to serve the Lord? Because it's the best life there is to live. Manasseh wanted everybody to serve God. He told them, he says, we're going to start serving the Lord. I know we've been worshiping the devils. We're going to start serving the Lord. It's a great testimony to me. It's one of the great... Great conversion examples in the Bible. Here's a man who had been guilty of undoing what his father had done, and now he's zealous to undo the evil that he's done. Let's look at his, the latter part of his story and then make this final application. Look at verse 17. Now he told him in verse 16, they need to serve the Lord. Verse 17 says, Nevertheless the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. What that basically means is, the high places were places they would, they would create, places where they would worship, places not in the temple, not where, they were, not where God designated as a place. They were worshiping idols in all these high places. Now here it says they're still going to those high places, but they're worshiping the Lord. They're not worshiping idols, they're worshiping the Lord. But, so that's one thing they did not fix. Look in verse 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers, the prophets that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. You can read that sometime. Verse 19, his prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he, before he was humbled. Those things he did before he was humbled. Behold, they're written among the sayings of the seers. These were writings of the prophets, the seers. They're not in the Bible. These things are not a part of the ins- uh, the canon of scripture, the inspired word of God, but they were recorded. record. And the writer of Chronicles says, you could read about all these things in the sayings of the seers. Verse 20, so Manasseh slept with his fathers. So these reformations of these changes, these, these reforms that Manasseh did, they lasted. That was his legacy. The wickedest man who ever lived, life was turned around before he died. Thank God for that. And one of the things that he did in verse 16 was this. He sacrificed on that repaired altar peace offerings and thank offerings. After he repaired the altar, he offered sacrifices of thanksgiving. You know, in the book of Leviticus, it mentions more than once about these sacrifices. Chapter 7, I quote, says, "...the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving." Leviticus 22, it says, When you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at your own will. You say, well, that's Old Testament. I think that's kind of what Hebrews was writing about when it says, Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Now, why did did Manasseh do this? Think about it. Why did Manasseh offer these sacrifices of... Peace offerings and thank offerings. Thank offerings. Offerings of thanks. Offerings of thanksgiving. Why did he do that? The simple answer I believe is because he was grateful for what God had done for him. He was thanking God for what he had done for him. Just like that song we were singing earlier. We've got so much to thank him for. Brother Jimbalvo was prayed this Recently, or t- tonight, but about how this is a time of Thanksgiving, a season of Thanksgiving. But let me, please, hear me tonight, and I, I want you to really listen to this. For a Christian, Thanksgiving should not be a seasonal thing. It shouldn't just be something we do because it's a holiday. You said, why would be, why would we get offer him thank offerings because of what he's done for us? What he's done for us. I mentioned earlier. Israel had this tendency to forget the goodness of God in their life. God had been good to them. God had led them out of their Egyptian bondage. God had been good to them. But there's something about human nature that tends to lose appreciation or forget how good God has been. Now, if someone were to walk in here and say, you know, I hate to interrupt the service, but... Uh, we just got this special delivery, and I want to bring it to this person who's sitting here and, and just want to let you know that that rich uncle that you didn't like anyway died, left you a million dollars. We'd, hardly, you'd, we'd have a hard time containing our happiness, right? Our, our envy won. <laughs> I'd be happy, especially if it was a tither. I want to tell you, God has blessed us with a whole lot more than just material things. Matter of fact, if we were to be taken home to heaven right now, and we could be taken to heaven right now, none of that stuff would matter. Right? It wouldn't even matter what kind of car we drive, or how much money we have in the bank, or what kind of clothes we wear. It wouldn't even matter. And yet in this life, we think about it so much. If I had what they had, I'd be thankful. You know, if I, if I didn't have my sickness, I'd be thankful. If I, you know, if we didn't have this financial problem, we'd be thankful. But the, pro- the truth is, we all have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm saying to you tonight, if you can't be thankful for where you are right now, then it's not because you don't have enough stuff. It's because there's something wrong in your heart. Would you agree with that? Something's wrong. So, you, know, and, and to, you know, you can't fix it by just giving people enough stuff. I, re, I read this story a long time ago, and I'm not sure if it really happened or if it's just a sermon illustration. <laughs> but the story goes about this guy in this neighborhood that he started. Every day he would take and, and he would anonymously give a gift, put it on a person's doorstep. I don't remember what it was, maybe 20 bucks, 50 bucks, I don't remember what it was. Every day they'd go out there on their porch and there'd be that $50 or $20, whatever. Every day. They didn't know where it came from. They did it for days. A week goes by, a month goes by, two months go by. It's there every day. And then all of a sudden one day it wasn't there. And they throw a fit complaining, well, where's my money? <laughs> like somehow they deserved it. That's the way we are sometimes. Like some, for some reason we think we deserve for everything to go our way. And never have problems. And never have sickness. I'm telling you, that's warped. That's warped. Young person, if you've got that kind of mentality that you don't think you have something to be thankful for, tonight you ought to be asking yourself, God help me if to see if there's something wrong in me. You know why he gave thanks? Because God had changed his life. God had given him freedom. Freedom. God didn't have to, but He restored to him what He had taken from him. And God had changed him on the inside. He was no longer an idolater, he was a worshiper of the true God. God had changed his life. Right? That's something to be thankful for. If God never did another thing for me, but the fact that He's changed my life, He made me a new person. Isn't that an amazing thing? Why would God? Religion couldn't do that. People couldn't do that. People who cared about me couldn't do that. Nobody could do that, but the God who made everything one day moved inside of me and changed me from the inside out in a moment of time. I ought to thank Him forever for that, right? We got so much to be thankful for the blessings of God, opportunities to serve. We live in the greatest country in the world. Right? Amen. It is. I, you say, don't you know America's got problems? Sure I do. Sure I do. Go live in Iran for a while. You know? Go live in the jungles of Peru for a while. Go, go live out, Go live in, in some place. You think we've got it rough here? We're spoiled rotten. Amen? He offered thank offerings. This king, who had done so much to defile, to blaspheme, to lead a whole generation of people down the wrong path, found mercy and grace and forgiveness. I doubt if he was giving thanks because everybody agreed with him. Because everybody liked him. Because everybody liked his recent post on Facebook. Isn't it amazing? People get bent out of shape because people don't like what. With... It's sick. It's sick. <laughs> right? It's selfish and it's sick. Why don't you just be glad you're saved? Why don't you be glad your name's written in heaven? Your sins are forgiven. God is your father, and I'm your brother. That's enough to be thankful for. (laughs) I'll tell you, God is greater. God is greater, more powerful, more generous, better, kinder than anything this world could ever provide. We ought to give Him thanks for it. We ought to give Him thanks. We ought to bring thank offerings. Thank offerings. Thank You, Lord. You know, it's one thing to get up and sing, I've got so much to thank Him for. But it's another thing to really know it in your heart. We've got so much to thank Him for. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you may be an American, you may be healthy, but I'm telling you, you still don't have the greatest thing in the world, and that's salvation. Sometimes, you know, this past week I was preaching out of town uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday. And sometimes when I'm doing that, I just find myself thinking, why am I here? I've said, I've said that to my wife many times. Why am I even here? Why, why would I get to preach to people? You know what I'm saying? Why would God let me do this? I don't understand it. I'm, to this day, I don't understand it. God has just been good. To us, to all of us, God is good. Amen. Why, God didn't have to use us. God didn't have to use any of us. Why would He let us serve Him? Why would God let us serve Him? Isn't God good that He would let me serve Him? What an amazing thing is that. Amen.